Amen. A nice like tonight. There's nowhere else I want to be. Singing about the Lord and His faithfulness. Let me read for you tonight our text. The same text we've been in for a number of weeks. Ephesians chapter 6. This series on really the armor of God. Verses 13 and 14. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Here's where we were last week. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We'll stop right there. Go ahead, have a seat. Uh, The breastplate of righteousness. That's what we're going to look at today. Now, last week we talked about this imagery of a, of a soldier who has, who has put on the belt of truth. We, we actually talked about how the soldier, that they would, they would gird up their loins. They would, they would tie up their clothing so that they could go into battle and not trip all over themselves. But today our imagery, it shifts. And instead of talking about a belt so that our pants don't fall down, proverbially speaking, right? T- today we're talking about this, this breastplate of righteousness, now, I know there are some preppers in the room, and they've got their, uh, their body armor already prepared. I know, I know some of you guys, that's where you are. That's cool. But when I think about this, this chest covering, what I actually think about is, uh, you guys are going to be shocked by this, I think about the baseball field, right? Because again, uh, you know, as a baseball coach, one of the most important pieces of equipment, if you're the catcher, is, well, the, the, the ch- catchers wear this, really, it's a, a breastplate. It's a, a chest covering pad that's it's, it's insulated so that the kid will not get hurt if the ball hits him. In fact, a, a, a kid that I've coached for a few years, his parents were telling me that last year they borrowed the catcher's gear. In fact, I think what happened is that I couldn't make it till the end of the game one night. And so they took the catcher's gear home, but their, their son had yet to figure out how to catch the ball. And so what they did is they took, them to ho- they took the catcher's gear home. They, they put all of the catcher's gear on their kid, and they just started throwing the ball at their kid so that they would learn to not be afraid of the ball, right? It's a great way to actually learn. In fact, anybody not know how to catch a ball? I can teach you. I, I got catcher's gear. I can show you, right? And so this is what they did. They, they took their kid and they taught them how to catch the ball by putting on this, this catcher's gear, including in it is the chest protector, this chest pad. This, this pad that, that honestly what it did is it gave the kid, watch this, it gave the kid faith that they would not be hurt if the ball hit them. It increased the child's faith that they would be safe. And because they were safe, then they were able to actually get their mitt up and start to use that hand-eye coordination and get to a spot where they could actually catch the ball. See, this, this breastplate of righteousness, the same exact, exact thing for us today. What we're going to see as we look at this, this incredible concept is that, that for you, by faith, By faith, you tonight, you wear the breastplate of righteousness. Now, there's a lot in that phrase. The big idea tonight, by by faith, you wear the breastplate of righteousness. There's a lot. We have to wrestle with what does it mean to live by faith? And then maybe more importantly tonight, we have to discuss what is is righteousness? What is righteousness? I mean, we, we, we use this word in church. It's a very churchy, Christian, Christianized word. But do you actually have a working, accurate definition of the word righteous? Our culture uses it. Our culture uses it sometimes in completely strange ways. My, the, the example that comes to my mind is the movie Finding Nemo. 
There's a scene in the movie Finding Nemo when they're, they're in like this, this passage of water that's going really fast and, and there's a turtle that's like a surfer dude. And just, do you remember what his line is? He's like basically surfing. He says, righteous, righteous. But what is righteousness? Is it just catching a big wave? Is it just feeling good about yourself? See, tonight, if we're going to understand that by faith you wear the breastplate of righteousness, we need to understand faith. But first, we need to begin with righteousness. What is righteousness? In fact, tonight, I'm really actually excited about this message. Because tonight's message is basically, it's a theology of righteousness. A theology of righteousness. This word, this big word, maybe you've never even said it before, righteousness. What does the Bible mean when it uses the word righteousness? And how does that impact your life, my life, today, right now? What does it mean to wear the breastplate of righteousness? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at how the Bible speaks about the righteousness of Christ upon you. And we're going to look at how the Bible speaks about the righteousness of Christ within you. And so that said, I want you to grab your Bible. And grab your Bible, and we're actually going to open up to Ephesians. Surprise, surprise. But, but start in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start there in a moment. But, but here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with a, a scene, Christ's righteousness upon you. If, if you're going to wear the breastplate of righteousness, in fact, the, the, the verbiage here, it says, past tense, having put on. This is something the believer already has upon them. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, here's where I want you to begin. I want you to see that you may, in fact, already have Christ's righteousness upon you. Now, Ephesians 2, we'll get there in a minute. But let's, let's talk about what righteousness is. If I were to put a quiz in front of you, what is the biblical definition of righteous or righteousness? I wonder how we would do. It, righteousness is a good thing, but could we define it? Well, here, here's the definition I want for you tonight. Righteousness is, basically speaking, righteousness is right standing before God. When we're talking about righteousness, we're talking about right standing before God. This is a character of uprightness. This is a, a life that is lived in a way that is holy and pleasing to God. This is, this is a quality of conforming to God's standard and God's norms. This is really having a character that matches the character of God. Well, when we think about this, this right standing before God, this is, this is a picture of a, well, it's a picture of a father of a teenage girl. And let's say a, a boy comes around and wants to hang out with your daughter. Well, as a father, you're going to sit down with that young man, and you're going to explain to him that you have you have certain standards that you, that you expect of him. You have certain kinds of behavior that, that are baked into the relationship, and you're going to make it very clear that if you do not live up to those standards or if you do not meet those expectations, you do not hang out with my daughter. Well, just like a good father would do that with his daughter, this is, this is magnified when we understand God. Because God is, in his character, he is perfect. And so for, for us to have right standing before him, you and I, we have to be perfect. Now, I might want a guy to be perfect 
if he ever dates my daughter. But listen, I know that there's no such thing. But because my daughter's not perfect. Because your daughter's not perfect. Because none of us are perfect. And that's where, that's where the problem begins. If we have to have perfection, to have right standing before God, we, we have a problem. In fact, turn with me, Ephesians chapter 2. Here's what we're going to see. That on your own, left only to yourself, you standing before God, you and only you, on your own, you lack righteousness. A year ago, we preached Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, or the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Now, this is one of the most important passages, I think, to understand how salvation works. Because this passage, it does not use the word righteousness, but this passage reminds us of our standing before God when we were outside of Christ. In fact, I've got the, the outline from that sermon imprinted on my brain because we've referenced it so many times over the past year. This says that you were spiritually dead, that you were externally disobedient. You did wrong things. This says that you were internally deranged. You had the wrong desires. You lived in the wrong passions. You, you loved the wrong things and you thought the wrong thoughts. And then worse of all, this teaches that you were a child of wrath. This teaches that you were eternally damned to live without God forever. This is... This is the problem. The problem is that on your own, I'm, I'm speaking about myself as well, on my own, we lack righteousness. The same author of Ephesians, Paul, when he writes the book of Romans, in fact, the book of Romans, the entire theme of the book of Romans is righteousness. The entire theme is righteousness. In fact, his opening argument point, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, he, he actually explains that the great problem is that we lack righteousness. Here's what he says. He says, as it is written, none is righteous. Maybe one. No, not one. Verse 11, no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they, together we, have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. This is a problem. When we're talking about righteousness, we're talking about right standing before God. And we must be incredibly clear that on our own, no one, not even one, has righteousness in and of themselves. Without Christ, you on your own, you lack righteousness. But some will ask, well, what about, what about the good things I do? I mean, here, here's the deal. You have a list in your mind of the good things that you have done and the good things that you have done for, for God. You, you, you hold 
the door open for that gal that one time. <laughs> you helped that, that old lady cross the road. You were nice to your mom a couple of times, right? You decided not to steal that thing and that opportunity when you had that moment. You and I, we can list out all of these things that we have done that we would say make it so that we, we can impress God. We can say, God, look at all of these times when I have done something good. Uh, look, at, look at these times when I have not done the wrong thing. Look at these times when I have done the right thing. What about me? I have done good enough, haven't I? I have some righteousness. Well, let's examine what the Scripture would say about that. Because the scripture would say that on your own you lack righteousness, but even more, on your own, any righteousness you have is worthless. Any righteousness you have. Listen, this is, this is anything that you have where you come into God and you're saying, God, look at how good I've been. You want to know what the Bible says about that goodness? Let me show you two passages. They're, they're actually very similar. The first one is Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Here's what it says. It says, we, we have all become like one who is unclean. Now, Isaiah is writing in the, the context of the Jewish religious system. And so to be unclean is to be ceremonially unclean. This means that you were unfit to worship God. We've all become like that. We've all become unfit to worship God. The verse continues. Look at this. He says, And all our righteous deeds, all, every single good thing that you would bring before God, saying that you are righteous, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. The polluted garment is, technically this is the, garment that a woman would use when the way of a woman is upon her. He says, this is what God thinks about your self-righteousness. Here's what he says. He says, we all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. He says, we all will die. And here's the deal. It's our sin. It's our trespass. It's our iniquities. It's our self-righteousness. All of that's going to carry us away just like a leaf in the wind. This is a problem. The problem is that on our own, we lack righteousness. The problem gets worse that on our own, any kind of righteousness we bring to the table, it is worthless. The Apostle Paul, Philippians 3.8, says the same thing. He says this. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss. Now, Paul was a pretty self-righteous guy. Paul was a, he, he was an Israelite. He was, he was a Jew of Jews, he was, he was circumcised on the eighth day. When it came to the religious writings, he probably had much of the Old Testament memorized. When it came to righteousness, he was, listen to this, he actually writes this in, in Philippians 3, that he was faultless according to the law. Here's what it means, that every time he had done something wrong, he had made up for it by following what the law would prescribe in religious worship. He was a Pharisee, he was a teacher of the law. He was so zealous in his, in his love for God that he would persecute Christians. He would chase after, he would find Christians, and he would attempt to bring them to trial and even get them murdered if he could. Here's what he says. He says, I count everything, all of his pedigree for loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. 
He says, for his, for Jesus' sake, I suffer, the, I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He says, I count any good thing in my life at all. I count it all as garbage. He probably has Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 in his mind. Polluted garments. He says, it's all garbage. Any self-righteousness, any good thing I've done, anything that I think that I can bring before God and say, God, look at how good I am. He says, it is all trash. This is a grave problem. Listen, if you are here tonight and you have yet to trust in Christ, this is the greatest problem in your life. That there is no greater problem to recognize than to recognize that you have no right standing before God. Now, if you are here tonight and you have trusted in Christ, what I want to share with you is what's true for you. And if you have not trusted in Christ, what I want to share with you can be true for you. Follow along in your notes. Because we have this great problem. The great problem is that we, on our own, lack righteousness, and on our own, our righteousness is worthless. But here it is. In Christ, we are given righteousness. We don't earn it. We don't reform our lives to a certain degree that God will accept our good works. We don't clean up our act. We don't try harder, do better, and strive to, to make something good of our life. No, in Christ, we are given righteousness. Theologians will call this imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. See, you and I, we're born into sin. Theologians call this imputed sin. We are born into Adam. Adam, as the first human, the federal head, he sinned. And, and just like if I go and I spend all of our savings, it impacts my family. Listen, Adam sinned and it impacts all of humanity. We are all born into sin. This is what makes Jesus' virgin birth so important. He didn't have imputed sin. He didn't carry the curse like you and I did. So here's the deal. We have imputed sin, but in Christ we are given or we're imputed with righteousness. Let, let me give you the picture of it. Uh, back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We, we read verses 1 through 3. Let me remind you of verses 4 through 8. This is, the, this is the gospel. This is the glorious passage. Here's what it says. We just read that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead, externally disobedient, internally deranged, and eternally condemned and damned. Verse 4, it says, But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we lacked no righteousness, even when we stood condemned before God, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here it is. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. 
It is the gift of God. This is describing, this does not use the word righteousness, but this is describing the act of you being declared righteous. This is describing that by grace you have been saved. This is describing something. Look at verse 8. It says, says, this is not of your own works. This is not your own self-righteousness. This is not you coming and saying, God, look at all the times I did not do the wrong thing. God, look at all the times I did the right thing. No, this is not by anything good that you and I have done at all. It is completely a gift. It is a gift of God. By grace, you have been saved. This gift is a gift that is given. It's given. The righteousness that you can have in Christ is a righteousness that you are given. I love the way... This is just stated so clearly in, in 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. This is, this is uh, just one of the clearest statements about righteousness that you have in all of the Scripture. Here's what it says. It says, For our sake, for you and I, for our sake, He, God the Father, made Him, God the Son, Jesus Christ, to be sin." Who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become what? The righteousness of God. This is such an incredible text. This is such an incredible text. This text reminds me of when I was a kid, and I would collect all sorts of different cards. I would collect G.I. Joe cards. Those are the best, by the way. I would collect baseball cards. Every once in a while, I would get hockey or football cards, not so much into those. I remember even we would collect Ninja Turtle cards. Ninja Turtle cards, those were so cool, right? Raphael, Donatello, Michelangelo, right? Leonardo. You guys know what I'm talking about. And I would trade him with my friends. And I remember the, the most coveted card was the card. It was Raphael. I remember the day I got that card. But Raphael was my friend's favorite. And I remember he wanted to, me to trade him. To trade him. My card. The best card. You expect me to trade you, you peon, you don't have this card, right? You expect me to trade you the best card. I'd be a fool if I did that. Would you trade your Raphael card? No way. You would never trade her. This, this text right here is called the great trade, the great exchange. I want you to see this trade that God makes with you. Here's the trade. It says he takes Him who knew no sin. He takes Jesus Christ, who had no sin whatsoever, and in this great trade, Jesus Christ becomes sin. Now, he doesn't sin at all, but you know what he does? He takes all of the sin of me, all of the sin of you, all of our guilt, all of our sin, all of our shame. He takes all of that upon himself, and then you want to know what he gives us in return? Look at the text. So that we might become the righteousness of God. He takes that and he gives it to us. Here's the the worst trade in the world and the best trade in the world. Jesus Christ takes all of our sin and he gives us his righteousness. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. 
It's not because of anything good in you at all. Listen very carefully. It's not because there's one little tiny speck of goodness in you that makes you better than someone else. No, it is by grace you have been saved. This is the great exchange. This is the great truth that in Jesus Christ, you are given righteousness. Now, this righteousness, we can talk about it for weeks on end. I I could turn a a sermon, a theology of righteousness sermon, into a a series on it very easily. I'm I'm tempted to, but I I was very self-controlled. I did not. It's only one sermon on this instead of four. But, But let me give you three truths about this righteousness that I think just brings so much clarity. So much clarity to our minds and to our souls. Truth number one, that your righteousness is alien. Your righteousness is alien, right? Now, some of you, you have pictures of little green men in like spaceships, flying saucers right now. Alien, what is this? No, not alien like that. This is an alien righteousness when it's outside of yourself. It's not a, it's not a righteousness that is self-generated, It's not a righteousness that you create in and of yourself. This is a righteousness that is given to you. Let's go back to that Philippians chapter 3 passage when Paul says, he says, I count everything as as loss. He says, everything in my life, I count it as rubbish. Verse 9. He says, here's my goal. And to be found in him, in Jesus. Look at what he writes not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. He says, I don't want to have a righteousness, a self-righteousness, that's because I think I'm good enough. No, he says, but that which comes, circle this, through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, this is not a righteousness where you start coming to church and you make yourself better. See, you might say, Mike, why do you keep saying that? Because I see it all the time. Uh, Sometimes I sit down with people who have been part of churches for decades and we start to, to dig deep into what they believe and they believe that they have to add something to be saved. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you're, you're squiggling and wiggling in your seat just a little bit because you're a little bit uncomfortable with this idea that is, it, it is completely a gift and it's not something you earn whatsoever. See, you want to earn it. You want to be patted on the back and rubbed on the head and good boy, right? You did it. Guess what? You didn't do it. You can't do it. If you did it, who gets the glory? you. But if it's the righteousness of God given to you because of Jesus and his death and resurrection, who gets the glory? God. Your righteousness is alien. Secondly, your righteousness is the Lord himself. We saw that in a sense in verse 9 of of Philippians 3. It says the righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. But but look at what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 23 verse 6 says, In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. 
there's so much we could do if we just wanted to dig through the weeds here. I just want to get to this description of the Lord. It says, and this is the name by which he will be called. I, I love this. The Lord is our righteousness. The, the Lord is our righteousness. He, here's what this is teaching. I mean, just very, very simply put, when we, when we stand before God, we do not say, I am my righteousness. My good works are my righteousness. Look at how awesome I am, God. You know, all that we do in that moment is we look at Jesus and we say, the Lord, <laughs> he's my righteousness. I don't deserve it at all, but, but he gave me this gift. It's himself. See, your righteousness is alien. Your righteousness is the Lord. But third truth here is your righteousness is by faith. By faith. We saw this in Ephesians 2.8. By grace you have been saved through faith. If, if you were to look at Romans chapter 4, verse 3, here's what it says. It says, for what does the scripture say? And then it, and then it calls back to this guy named Abraham. Now, Abraham was not, he, he was not a perfect man. He was actually kind of a messed up guy. He made some pretty big mistakes. But Abraham trusted that God would save him regardless of his failings, regardless of his selfishness, regardless of his cowardice. There are moments when this man of faith was a coward. And look what this text says. Romans 4 verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is, this is how you receive righteousness. How do, you, how do you know you have this righteousness? Is it a feeling? Is it raising your hand? Is it praying a prayer? Here's how you receive this righteousness. By faith. It's to take an honest assessment of your life. I'm talking like, like gut level honest. Where, where you recognize your sin. Where you recognize your lack of righteousness before God. Where you recognize the places in your life where you want to be good enough. You want your own self-righteousness to, to seal the deal for you. When you take that honest self-assessment and you look at all of that and then you look at Christ and you recognize that Jesus Christ loved you so much that he lived a perfect life. He died and paid the penalty for all, for all of your sin. He was buried, and by the power of God on the third day, he was resurrected to live forevermore. When you look at those two realities, your sin and Christ as your Savior, and when you trust that what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what the Bible says about what Jesus has done, when you trust that that is true, when you put your faith, when you put your confidence, when you put your hope in Jesus, in that moment, you are given the righteousness of God. This is, this is how you receive righteousness. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. It's not because of how good you've been. It is a gift that is received by faith. It's, it's, it's imputed to you. 
This is, this is like running down to the Christmas tree on Christmas morning and seeing this amazing present with your name written right on it. And you see that present right there before you, and you know it's got exactly what you want, exactly what you need, the righteousness of God given to you. But faith says, I'm going to open that. Faith says, I'm going to believe this is true. Faith says, I believe that is for me. Have you done that? Do you believe that the Lord loves you? Do you you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you believe that he was resurrected from the grave? Do you believe that you have been given the righteousness of God in Christ? See, here's what I want you to begin with. If we're going to talk about a theology of righteousness, here's where it begins. You lack righteousness, but God will give you righteousness. And he gives it in Jesus. This is why I say I want you to see Christ's righteousness upon you, this gift that is given to you. But, but listen, this is not just a gift that you receive and you say, okay, now I have the righteousness of God and now I can go and just, you know, I can just go live my life however I want. No. This righteousness has a deep, radical, transforming impact on your life. In fact, this is the second thing I want you to see. Not only do you see Christ's righteousness upon your life, but secondly, I want you to see Christ's righteousness within your life. I want you to see the transformative power of God working in you so that you now become more and more like Christ. I want you to see that you are called to live a completely different kind of life. But, but, but I want to be very clear. These two righteousness, kinds of righteous, they're related, but they're different. The first one is that imputed righteousness. It's a righteousness given. The second righteousness is what I'm going to call an imperative righteousness. It's a righteousness commanded. It's a righteousness that you are meant to live within. Let me show you in the text. Let me show you in the text. Let's begin. This is where I want you to begin. Back to Ephesians, this time chapter 4. See, here's what we're going to see. Because of what the gospel has done for you, you now respond with gratitude. Because of in the gospel you have been given the righteousness of Christ, your response of gratitude is now to live in that righteousness. Here's where we start. I want you to first of all see that the scripture calls you to put on what I'm going to call the wardrobe of righteousness. Put on the clothing of righteousness. This comes right out of the text. Ephesians chapter 4 verses, or verse 24. It says, put on the new self... This is a brand new life that you have in Jesus Christ. It says, put on the new self created after the likeness of God. Underline this. In true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness. Now, we talked about truth last week. The, the, the belt of truth. In fact, the word righteousness is used three times in the book of Ephesians, and every time it's used, it's combined with the word truth. Just let that sink in for a minute. Your righteousness is based on the truth of the gospel, ultimately. But, but this, calls, this is called true righteousness, which means there is such thing as a false righteousness. Let me speak to those who consider themselves believers in this room. 
See, the false righteousness is that self-righteousness. The false righteousness is, is when you begin to think that you can earn something from God, that you can earn your salvation from God. But we've already seen that true righteousness lives according to the gift that has been given. This says true righteousness and holiness. What does it look like for you to, to put on the wardrobe, to put on the clothing, this new clothing of righteousness? It looks like holiness. Uh, let's just think about the book of Ephesians and, and what it's described for us. This means that you should not lie at all. This means that you should not pursue any kind of sexual deviancy. This means that you should understand that sex is meant to be between a husband and a wife in the covenant promise of marriage, and that's it. And anything else is unrighteousness. It's impurity. This means that you should not be greedy. This means that you should not have unrighteous anger. You should not be just be angry about someone being, you know, messing with your life. You should only be angry about sin and the things that would offend God. This means that you should, children, teenagers, obey your parents. This means that parents, that you should, you should lead your kids in a way that does not move them toward anger. This means husbands, you should be laying down your lives sacrificially for your wives as Christ did. This is putting on the righteous life that we have. Wives, you should be following your husbands in respect and honoring them. This is what it looks like to put on the new life. This new life, it is, it is practical. This is not mind in the sky, oh, I should live a righteous life and, and you know, I should maybe sing some songs or a chant. No, this new life of righteousness, it comes down to every action, every word, and every thought that composes the entirety of your life. And it should be visible. Just like your clothing is visible. Those around you should see that you're living a different life. You're living a new life. You are living a life that looks a lot like Jesus, who is righteous. See, you are to put on the wardrobe of righteousness. Secondly, Ephesians teaches us that you are to actively walk in righteousness. You are to actively, actively walk in righteousness. Now, that, that word walk, we, we, we've covered that word so much that maybe I can call on anyone in the room and say, hey, what does the word walk mean, right? We, we've seen Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. We, we've seen in chapter 4 that we were to walk in a manner worthy of the call. We've seen that we're no longer to walk like the Gentiles do. We've seen that we're now to walk in this new life. We've seen that we're to walk in love. When we use this word walk, this is talking about the, 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 the sum total of your life and its moral and ethical expression. So when the Bible says to walk, this is saying live. And so look at verse 8 of Ephesians 5. It says, For at one time you were, dark, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Here it is. Walk as children of light. And look at verse 9. For the fruit of light, for, for what your life produces when you walk as a child of light, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. 
That word right is the same word righteous. Same root word. So your life, the life that you live, you not only put on the wardrobe of righteousness, but you walk in righteousness. Your life is to be a life that displays all that is good and right or righteous. This means, literally speaking, just connect the dots. What is the definition of righteousness? To, to stand in right relationship with God. So what does it look like for you to walk in righteousness? Well, to walk in a way that pleases God. So when you're, when you're hanging out with your friends, does the way you speak, does it please God? When you're, when you're at work, does, do your actions, do they please God? When you're alone with your thoughts, do your thoughts stand in right relationship to God? This is what it looks like to, to actively walk in righteousness. This is the call for every believer. If you've trusted in Jesus, if you have trusted in his death and resurrection, you have the righteousness of Christ upon you, imputed, but you have the righteousness of Christ commanded. It's an imperative. You are to walk in it. But, but the third part of this righteousness is you are to wage spiritual warfare in righteousness. Remember, the, the context of Ephesians chapter 6 is warfare. The, the, the context is you have an enemy, right? Well, let me, let me give you that, another text here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. The Apostle Paul is writing to a, a young man of the faith, and here's what he says. He says this, he says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Well, what are the things that he needs to flee? If you were to go back, you would find these things are false teaching, selfish living. Really, we can just summarize it all. Flee from the things that are evil or wrong. And look at what he says. He says, he says pursue. You run away from one thing and you run after something else. He says, pursue. And what's the first thing out of the gate? Righteousness. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Here it is. Fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Look at this, church. This says that you are to pursue righteousness and in the very next breath, in the same exact vein, in the same exact spirit, the Apostle Paul, he says, fight the good fight. The righteousness is listed in the armor of God, and then righteousness is called for right before you are instructed to step onto that battlefield. Right before you're called to get into the ring. He says you were to fight the good fight. And listen, you can only fight that fight well if you have the breastplate of righteousness. This series, we've, we've talked a lot about spiritual warfare. Remember, you, you have an enemy. Your enemy is not your atheistic neighbor or, or your, your agnostic friend. Your enemy is the devil himself. Remember that your enemy, he, he's, he's on the battlefield. That battlefield is, is aimed at your thoughts. In fact, we've looked at his strategy. 
What is his strategy? I hope that you're starting to, to pick up on these themes that are repeated. His strategy is, first of all, to deceive you. How does he want to deceive you when it comes to righteousness? Well, I'm going to tell you his tactic. He wants you to rely on your self-righteousness. That's his game. He wants to deceive you to rely on self-righteousness. What's his second strategy? His second strategy is to tempt you. Well, how does he want to tempt you when it comes to righteousness? He wants to tempt you toward living an unrighteous life. Look at this. This is, this is so simple once you figure it out. His deception, he wants to trick you to think you're good enough. And his temptation is he wants, you to, he wants to lead you away so that you know that you're, you're far from good enough. Either way, he wins. Satan is just as happy as having you at the bar getting drunk every night as having you come to church five nights a week thinking that you're good enough to earn your salvation. Either way, this is his strategy. And see, ultimately, he deceives and he tempts because he wants to stand before God the Father and point his finger at you and accuse you and say, they have no righteousness. But in that moment... How do you fight the good fight? In that moment, how do you stand firm? How do you stand firm? You put on the entire armor of God. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. In that moment, you know what you do is you remember that you were covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In that moment, you remember that you can now live Christ's righteousness displayed in your life. Listen, in that moment, you are in the middle of a war zone and you have a bulletproof breastplate which nothing the enemy fires at you can penetrate. This is what you have if you were in Christ. You have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So, so what does that mean for you tonight? Well, here's what it means. If you are a struggling saint, if you are a believer in this room and you've been struggling with believing the wrong things, or if you've been struggling with acting the wrong way, listen, I want you to see that tonight you can overcome. Not because you're good enough, but because Jesus is. And he has covered you with his righteousness. If you're here tonight and you, you're a saint, but you're not so much struggling, you're feeling pretty good, I want you to remember that anything good in your life is because of Jesus. It's not because you're having a great time being holy in and of yourself. I want you to remember that your right standing is a gift. You didn't earn it. You contributed nothing good toward it. Let this just encourage you to continue living a holy life, but in gratitude for what has been done for you. And if you're here tonight, and you have yet to trust in Jesus, if you're here tonight, and this is the first time you realize that you stand before God and you do not have righteousness you stand before God vulnerable, naked. You, you are totally exposed to his judgment. I want you to see tonight that you can have the righteousness covering you. It is a gift that comes by believing that Jesus died for you and rose again. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this righteousness in Jesus Christ. We confess that we did not earn it, 
We confess that we lacked it completely and entirely. And we rejoice that you give it freely because of the great price that Jesus paid for us. Father, we remember this tonight and we pray that you would strengthen us so that we can fight the good fight. We can wage the good warfare. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.